Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. But we're heading toward the end of our summer series. It's called the Original Top Ten. And you've, you've heard what, I, what I've been saying so far. Um, people have been treating the Ten Commandments like the Ten Suggestions. And so I believe that God would have us, you know, not just know them, but to, to, to take them to heart because they reflect what's important to God. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Amen. And so if it's important to God, it should be important to us too, right? Okay, so we've gone one through six. I'm not going to quiz you on it. When we get to the end, though, you might get a quiz. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But seven, um, seven, we, we, uh, what I've been doing is taking the number, the number whether, it's, whether it's one or two or, or five, and making it into a symbol that we can remember. What, what was the symbol for seven? Golf club. Someone say golf club. And so and the story behind that one was that, you know, a guy was out there with his family at a golf, on a golf course, and they were big-time CEOs, and the wife was, uh, the ladies were out there as well, and, the, lady, and the, the wife overheard the husband bragging about an affair that he was having at the office. He said, boo. Boo. <laughs> My wife said, boo. <laughs> and so she took the number seven iron, and started clocking him over the head with the seven iron right there in front of everybody. Didn't, didn't, didn't kill him, but paid him a le- gave him a lesson. And so what was the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not commit an adultery. Now it's in there. It's in there from now on. You're going to know number seven. If you, didn't, if you weren't here for any of the other ones, you're going to know number seven. Thou shalt not commit an adultery. Adultery is based on Exodus chapter 20. Verse 14, which literally says, you shall not commit adultery. And so for this morning's message, I've simply entitled it, Keeping Marriage Safe. Keeping Marriage Safe. Now, why why are those two connected? Well, obviously, because nothing can destroy a marriage quicker than uh, adultery or infidelity in a marriage. Come on, somebody. Nothing can destroy quicker than that. Now, you would think everybody would know what adultery means, and I no longer assume that because a couple of years ago I had a couple call me for counseling and uh, they were engaged and she came in pretty upset and hot at him and I'm like, so they sat down on the couch. I have one of those uh, counseling couches that you might hear about. Anyway, you come right there. They sat down on the couch and she was crying so I gave her the tissue paper. I'm like, what's going on? And her words were, he's committed the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin. I'm like, oh, snap. What was the, what, what was the unpardonable sin that he committed? Because as far as I know, I don't know of any sins on this earth that's unpardonable, but I want to know what she said. And she said, he, he cheated on me. Now, mind you, they weren't even married. They professed to be Christians, and they were living together, but they weren't married yet. And in her mind, he cheated on her prior to going to the altar, and she had found out that little bit of word that she had, and she took that word out, and she started swinging it, even if she was taking it out of context. As far as she was concerned, she said adultery was the unpardonable sin. Again, I didn't get into the 
the fact that it doesn't even apply to her. You guys aren't even <laughs> married. There's another word for what's going on in your life. But I said, listen, I, adultery is bad, uh, but where does it say in the Bible that it's the unpardonable sin? Where does it say that? And she said, I don't know. It's somewhere in there. I know it. It's simply unforgivable. <laughs> I said, well, I, want, I hate to break it to you, but not only is it pardonable or forgivable, Jesus himself, when given the opportunity, forgave. And we're going to look at that scripture and see what that has to say to us today. But for people like her, again, I no longer assume that we all are on the same page in terms of definitions. I mean, you know that you look around today, definitions are changing on stuff that were really basic, like male and female and stuff like that. All right, so we're going to go over the definition of adultery. It says, it says voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. And then it gives examples. Unfaithfulness, infidelity, falseness, disloyalty, extramarital relations. And then there was a biblical de definition that I found online. It says adultery is called marital infidelity. A person who commits adultery or engages in adultery is called adulterous, adulterous. A man already married who gets involved in a sexual relation act with another woman is called an adulterer. You might not know this. And a woman committing adultery is called an adulteress. So you got adulterous, the act. You got the male, adulterer. And then you got the female, adulteress. I'm saying this for a reason because I want you to follow along as we go through the scripture. Now, the question is, is adultery condemned in the Bible? Well, believe it or not, the Bible does have something to say about adultery. In Leviticus, in the book of the law, it says in chapter 20, verse 10, it says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, but the adulterer, both the adulterer and the adulteress ought to be, help me out, somebody, this is the Old Testament. Oh, snap. Now, who's the adulterer? Say the man. And who's the adulteress? And they're both supposed to be put to death according to the Old Testament, according to the, the book of the law in, in, uh, from Moses. Now, so it's there, okay? So she must have been reading some Old Testament stuff. But again, Jesus had something to say on this issue in fact, it came, up to, it came up while he was ministering to the crowds. It says in John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And, he, and as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of of the crowd. Now, the, one translation says they made her stand in front of the crowd. Understand the picture. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, a bunch of people start forcing themselves through the crowd, and they drag this woman that they say they caught in the act of adultery, and they made her stand there. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And again, we just read the law of Moses. That's, that was the preferred way they put people to death back then. They stoned them to death. Verse 6. 
But it says in verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote in dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, it says they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, whenever I read that passage, to me it's just a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Amen? Amen. It, It just shows the heart of God toward us. Knowing God knows exactly what he's dealing with when he, when he poured out his love on us. He knows. He knows that we are, our feet are made of clay. He, he knows that we have issues along those lines. But I want you to notice a couple of things concerning this passage. What the law said was both the adulterer and the adulteress, the man and the woman, were supposed to be condemned. They dragged only this woman before them. Supposedly, they caught, him in the, caught them in the very act of adultery. My question was, where is the man? <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. I just think it kind of shows the hypocrisy. Or, or was he faster than the woman? I mean, what, what was going on here? <laughs> Secondly, This woman, the scripture says, basically got caught up in a political ploy by Jesus' enemies. They they weren't really that concerned about what she was doing, although they would have killed her that day. They were looking for reasons to trap Jesus. If he had said, yes, go ahead, condemn her to death, all right, because they're looking for something to trap him with, he looks now bad in the eyes of the people that he's trying to minister to. Now, and if he said, go, go ahead, and if he says, don't kill her, now he looks like he's usurping the laws of Moses. And so either way, they figured, I got you either way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride this train. I'm going to drive a wedge between you and the people. One way or the other, they figure they got them. And so this woman was just a political pawn in a chess game. And yes, it was a very dangerous chess game because, yeah, She came that close to losing her life that day. And so instead of answering, the Bible says, Jesus, upon hearing their questions, he stoops to the ground and he starts writing in the dirt with his fingers. Now, curiously enough, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what he wrote. And many people have speculated as to what he wrote on the ground. And in my heart, it just kind of went off in my spirit what I think he was writing on the ground that day. It's not in the scriptures. I'm just telling you what I think. Because I think in that moment, he was simply writing down the names of the hypocrites in the crowd who have been just as guilty as her, but they weren't caught just like the fella. He wrote down their names, and I think right next to their names, he wrote down the names of the ones that they had cheated with 
or stolen from or ripped off in some way or form or fashion. And when they insisted on uh, 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 getting an answer, they hadn't seen what he was writing down. But when he stood up, he said, by this time, he said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And then he wrote, then he got back down on the ground and started writing the rest of their names down. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. And the scripture says from that moment on, that enraged crowd, the oldest, from the oldest to the youngest. Now, those of us who've got some years on us, it don't take us long to figure out. We've been on this planet for a while. We've messed up in a few things. Come on, somebody. The younger ones, they're like, you know, I haven't done nothing wrong. <laughs> But it says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. I think it was more of like a slinking away. I think, I, I think Jesus sufficiently shamed them enough that they had to walk away. And then he stands up in the midst of the crowd because in my mind, for some reason, it is, I used to think it was just her and him. No, there's still the crowd there. There was the religious people who came to, to, to put on this drama to try to trap Jesus at her expense and at his eventually. But the crowd is still there. And so he stands up in the midst of the crowd. All the accusers have left and it's only her and him. And he asks her this question, woman, where are your accusers that anyone condemn you? Even one. Did one person condemn you? And she, and she answered, no, my Lord, no one condemned you. And in this moment, I want you to kind of take note that Jesus said, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. There was one person in that crowd who was without sin. Come on, somebody. And one person in that crowd who could have condemned her. But his answer to her was, neither do I condemn you. Friends, be careful of throwing stones. My mama used to say, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> and when you're pointing one finger at somebody else's shortcomings, what do they say? There's always three pointing back at you. Jesus said it this way, with the same measure you judge, it will be measured to you. Turn to someone and say, be careful. You're not as good as you think you are. Someone say, we all need Jesus. Come on. But in that moment, and her life was hanging on the line, because basically whatever he said, he could have just took the easy way out, do what Moses says. And that would have been her last day on this earth. In that moment, he gives her not what she deserves, he gives her what she needs. He gives her grace. We sang about it this morning. He gives her grace. But he didn't just give her a pass. Because what did he say, the final thing he says? He says, go and sin no more. 
And unfortunately, that's part of my problem too because God gives us grace. He gives us um, exactly what we need to come into relationship with him. And for some people, they take what Jesus did, that act, that beautiful act of forgiveness, and they use it as a license. What he forgave me one time, I'll just continue doing it over and over again. Grace is not a license for sin. Jesus said, listen, I am not throwing stones, but stop doing it. So I want you to write this down. Jesus is not trying to condemn anyone for sin on this earth. I didn't say it. The scripture says it, John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is not on a condemnation mission. He's on a salvation mission, and his mission is the same as our mission. Come on, somebody. We are now his hands and his feet and his heart and his mouth and his eyes. And it's not for us to be throwing stones. But having said that, listen to me. I want you to write this down. Apart from his grace, there are still eternal consequences for sin in our lives, particularly habitual sin. The Apostle Paul tells us what those consequences are. And as I read these, I want you to understand the context in which I'm reading it. He is speaking to a New Testament church. We're not in the Old Testament as Paul has given these instructions. We are now in the New Testament. We are a New Testament church. So what applies to them also speaks to us as well. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 8. He says, instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and, and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't Fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice or practice or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards. The modern word for that would be addicts. There is no, um, there's no prohibition to drinking in the Bible. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine. Don't allow sin to take over your life. He says, or abusive people, one translation calls them slanderers, or cheat people, which are swindlers, he says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Come on, somebody. 
And he says this basically is who we were before we became Christians, before we experienced Jesus on the road, and the crowd wanted to, to condemn you, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but he didn't end it there. He says, go and sin no more. Stop doing it. The Apostle Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians verse 12, he says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, and that's that cheap grace. But not everything is good for you, and even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a, help me out somebody, a slave to anything. God doesn't want anything controlling you except for the Holy Spirit. Amen. You say, and this was a saying back then, food was made for the stomach and stomach for the food. In other words, God created me with an appetite, and so I must satiate that appetite. That was the saying. And they applied this across the board for all of the appetites, including sexual immorality. And so Paul took their little saying, he says, this is what you say. Food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true. He says, so, but though someday God's going to do away with both of them. But you can't say that about our bodies, which were made, our bodies were, he says, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That which was sown perishable will be raised imperishable. Your body is going to take on a transformation. God's got plans for your body. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? See, they were having the same problems back then that's going on today. He goes on to say, never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18. Read it out loud with me, somebody. One, two, three. Run from sexual sin. He says no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you or was given to you by God? And I always like to break that down because people always say, well, I'm going to, God, to, to the sanctuary. I'm going to the church. That's where God is. And folks, the reality is the church is where his church meets. Come on, somebody. These are just four walls. You are the church. I am the church. God says, I, I, the, the, whole, the Bible says he, he doesn't reside in places built with human hands. You got to go to the Taj Mahal or you got to go to some place in Russia and they built this great cathedral along those lines to find God. No. He, he resides in places where he built 
and that's you and I. You are the church. Turn to someone and say, it's you. You're the church. I'm the church. Right? And so he says, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourselves, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And so the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he tells us a couple of things, some very important truths about how to stay pure, sexually pure in this world, and how to keep a safe marriage if you're married. First of all, he says, don't fool yourself. Stop kidding yourself, okay? He says, those who indulge in sexual sin, among the other ones that he listed, he wants you to know you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Indulging is a pattern of practicing over and over again. I'm not talking about falling into sin. I'm not talking about, you know, I messed up here or messed up there. He's talking about those who, and he's talking to the church, those who, this is your lifestyle and you've now embraced this as your lifestyle. He says, you are just kidding yourself if you think that you're going to make it into heaven, into God's kingdom, while you are doing the very things that Jesus died to set you free from. Oh, my goodness, it's getting quiet in here. Now, again, that sounds pretty definitive. So it appears that certain sins in the Old Testament was punishable by death, but under the age of grace, God has given us an opportunity to repent, which means that we won't and shouldn't be stoned to death on this earth, and it's, I don't advocate any of, that, any of that. But if you continue to indulge in it, the Bible makes it clear that there's going to be eternal consequences unless you repent. And in this list, it lists adultery. But it also lists, it says sexual immorality. You look up the other translations, it flat out calls it fornication. And that's relations outside of marriage. It, it goes on to say those who frequent prostitutes and the darling sin of today. It's, it literally says those who practice homosexuality. No one is born gay. You're seduced into it, okay? You end up in it, but you are not born that way. You are not, okay? And he takes it a step further, and he says, these are not just sins against God. He says, but it's sins against your own body. And, then, and he tells us why. He said, because your bodies were not made for sexual immorality. Your bodies, he says, were all the temple of God. Write that down. That's where God lives. That's where he resides. If you call yourself a Christian or a believer, where you go, he goes. What you do, he's doing it with you. People ask me all the time, are you alone? From the moment I got saved and I understood the concept that my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, I'd say I'm never alone. And if we could just remember that, that we are never alone, there are certain things you are just not going to drag Jesus through with you in terms of sins. I'm going to drag Jesus to the strip club? 
Someone caught, someone caught me at the strip club. Oh, I was just witnessing. No, you weren't. I'm going to drag Jesus to the bar and get drunk. I'm going to drag him to, 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 to a prostitute. Paul says, never, never. When we accepted Christ, we were spiritually adopted into the body of Christ, and we become part of him, and he says the Holy Spirit resides in us. Do you believe that? So no, no longer, the Bible says, do we belong to ourselves. It says we were bought with a high price. Can someone tell me what that high price was? Jesus literally gave his life. I heard an example just a couple of days ago about a, a man who he says, you know, I have my own son. And I have my son. How many of you would give up your sons for somebody else? Come on, somebody. But the Bible says God gave his most precious gift to every single one of us as a ransom as a, so that he can pay for our sins. He did that for us. We were bought with a very high price, he says. And you are no longer your own. You're bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And so Paul says, therefore, we must honor God with our bodies. He didn't say, it's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. Those of you who've got one foot in the church and one foot in the world, one foot who, where your mindset is, yeah, I'm going to serve Jesus on Sunday, but I'm still going to be doing all this other nonsense with your body. God doesn't care. He's going to forgive. I'm telling you, he cares. He cares what you do. And whatever you're doing, you're bringing him with you. So the Apostle Paul says, you must honor God with your bodies. He even tells us what to do with sexual sin. First of all, he reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, I must not become a slave to anything. How many know that the, those sexual addictions have ruined families? It's ruined ministries. There have been preachers who've been taken down because they've got these addictions. The devil loves it when you, when, you, when you allow these strongholds to just fester because at some point, you're not controlling it. It controls you. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and before you know it, you don't have a monkey on your back. You've got a gorilla on your back. And now you're in shame because you can't talk to your wife or you can't tell your, this person or that person and then everything becomes lies. Where were you? What have you been watching on, on your computer? We learned last week, and we're going to learn again, that Satan is the father of lies. That's where he wants you living. And then he tells us what we should do with it in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, run from sexual sin. Don't placate it. Don't play with it. Don't fool around with it. Go the opposite 
direction. The question to you is, have you become a slave to sexual sin, addictions, or compulsions in your life? And have you been running from it or to it? And the Holy Spirit is telling you right now in this moment to repent and ask God's forgiveness and his strength to break away from it. Now, what is the standard that God considers holy as it relates to our sexuality? What does God consider holy? Write this down. The marriage bed he considers holy. Again, this is becoming counterculture, and the more I preach the Bible, I'm realizing that it's, it's, it's upsetting a lot of people. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the scripture says, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. It's not for him to change to accommodate our culture or our concerns. It's for us to get right with him. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage, he says, should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the what? The adulterer and all the sexually immoral. New Testament. Pastor Rick, I got a pass. I accepted Jesus. I've got his grace all over me. I can do whatever I want to do. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. No. He says you are kidding yourself. I'm aware it's going to go over some people's heads. Because, as I heard this last week, and there are those who just want to hear milk messages. Like a baby. And they don't want training in righteousness or right standing. Maturity. It's time for us to grow in, in the grace of God and be a reflection of who he wants on this earth for such a time as now. And so biblical marriage is a marriage between, and I, hate, I have to say this to you these days, but I have to, one biological man and one biological woman. That's it. Man with a man and a woman with a woman are not biblical marriages. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care what the laws say. It's the same with pro-life. It may be legal, but it ain't right in terms of taking another human life, even the life in the womb. We're living together, Pastor Rick, and we're married to each other in our hearts. <laughs> That's not a biblical marriage. I have to ask that these days. Are you legitimately married? Because if I just say you're married, they tell me, yeah, I'm married. And then I find out they're married in their hearts. <laughs> and sometimes they're married to other people legally, but they're married to this one in their hearts. You with multiple sexual partners, 
whether they be baby mamas, sister wives, or friends with benefits, is not a biblical marriage. Everything else outside of what the Bible declares as biblical marriage is declared immoral and a sin against God in your own body. Now you might say, well, Pastor Rick, well, I don't believe that. That's your right. And I, like Jesus, will not be picking up stones to throw at anyone. I don't throw stones. Sinners are welcome here at this church, right? But just understand this. Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. Even in the most beautiful picture of grace that I've ever seen in the Bible, his final instructions to her, I'm not condemning you because Jesus didn't come to condemn. But he was also concerned about her internal destination. Go and sin no more. And you and I don't get to define what sin is. God does. And the Bible is clear, and there's no ambiguity concerning what the Bible teaches, what sin is. Well, Pastor Rick, what, what, what if we love each other? I'm sure he's the one, she's the one. Get married. I know a good preacher. Get right or get left. Choice is yours. Now, just like last week, there'll be those who hear a message on the commandments and they would say, whew, I made it past another one of Pastor Rick's messages. I'm good. Nothing to see here. And I'm so glad I'm not living under that old covenant anymore where they were stoning people for adultery. They don't stone them anymore. They, you can go online and they have cheating sites left and right. And did Jesus really lower the bar to the point where he says, oh, that's acceptable? I'm telling you, he didn't. Just like last, just like last week, he raised the bar concerning this situation. He made it a hard issue again. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, my goodness. What is he doing? He goes on to say, so... If your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Who is talking here? It's in red, red letters. It's Jesus speaking. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
Now listen to me this morning. I don't believe for one minute that Jesus actually expects us to gouge our eyes out and <laughs> cut our hands off. I, I don't. I think he's using hyperbole. But I do believe he's trying to show us the seriousness of the impact of sin on our lives and the true consequences that we could possibly face from allowing it to just fester in our lives. And so he's saying, if you have a problem in these areas, don't ignore it. He's telling you, deal with it. It's better to pluck those eyes out if it, it's causing you all... It's better to go into, into eternity with one eye than to go in, go in with both eyes and go to hell. Is, is it your hand doing it? He's cut it off. It's better to go in with one hand. So if you have a problem in these areas, you have to deal with it. First, by turning to Jesus. And we all know what if we truly repent and turn to Christ, what his answer is going to be, it's going to be the same. We're your accusers, he says. Did anyone condemn you? Neither do I. I'm not condemning you either. But he's going to say the same thing. Go. Help me out, somebody. And sin no more. Stop doing it. And the Holy Spirit will help you become stronger. Don't run from Jesus. Run to him. He's not throwing stones. And secondly, he's going to tell you, you know, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, he might lead you to get to someone or something that can help you, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through his word, whether it's through counseling, Christian counseling. Okay? But let's read on. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 31, he says, You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. What do we call that in Florida? What do we call that? For no fault divorce? They had something similar going on back then. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And a man who marries a divorced woman also commits and adultery. Jesus changing things up. And so in this passage, he kind of lays out one of the conditions for a couple to get divorced. He says it's infidelity. You have now taken that vow that you took before God and you've trashed it in the life of your partner. And so now your partner has a right to say before God, no mas, I'm done. You don't have to. And if you choose to stay, you're going to have to work on forgiveness. You're gonna, you can't keep like, I'm throwing it in your face sort of thing. But you have a right before God to say, I'm done. The Bible actually gives two other reasons for divorce. It talks about if, the, if, your, if your spouse dies, right? You're no longer bound to them. And Abandonment. Abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7, 12. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command for the Lord. If a, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. 
And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer, he is willing to, and he is willing to continue living with her, he mu she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Now watch this. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are. In other words, the fact that you're a believer, the mojo you carry into your relationship is much stronger than what they got. And even if they're not believers, you bring holiness to that situation. And that holiness comes even from that union. The children are holy because you're holy. Because there's a man of God or a woman of God in that house. Now he goes on to say, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, what does it say? Help me, somebody. Let him go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to do what? Live in peace. Peace. Peace is a beautiful thing. It says, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? So again, if someone is refusing to stay with you, don't beg them. Don't make deals and all this other stuff. You know, the Bible says, let them go. They abandon you. You are under no obligation. You are no longer bound to them because God has called us to live in peace. Infidelity, death, abandonment. Those are the grounds that the Bible gives. Uh, leaving the toilet seat up, Doing the toothpaste in between, you know, underwear on the, in the bathroom. No, that's, I mean, what are you talking about? I'm leaving him. He, he won't take out the garbage. You don't have grounds to leave him because he won't take out the garbage. Come on, somebody. Figure it out. He's not a believer. You don't have grounds to leave him because he's not a believer. According to the, and he, he's willing to stay with you? No, that's not grounds. You married him. You made your bed. You married her. If they're willing to stay with you, right? If they don't want to stay with you, you have grounds. Let peace be your guide. Amen? So what, what does God actually think about divorce? It literally says he hates it. And then he tells us why he hates it. Malachi 2 verse 13. He says, in this you do as well. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor at your hand. In other words, they were coming to church, they were making their offering, and they realized their prayers were hitting the roof and coming back down. You ever been in a situation where you feel like God is just not listening? For some reason, he's not, you know? Well, they all got that sense at this time. And he says, regarding your offerings, he says, you, you, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor at your hand. Nothing was going right for them. He says, you ask, why does he not accept my offerings? Why does it seem like he's turned his back on me? He says, because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. 
though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did not one God make her? Both flesh and spirit are his. And what does the Lord, what does the one God desire? Godly offspring. So look to yourselves and do not let anyone be faithless to the wife of his youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And covering one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to yourselves and do not be faithless. Before I break that down, just, the NRV says it this way, verse 16. It says, the man who hates and, and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should. Help me, somebody. Is it up there? No. It says, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. What was their situation? They were running into problems because of their, with their God because he was looking down seeing how they were treating their wives. He says, she belongs to me and I expect you to treat her in, the, in a way that honors and protects them and honors me. And what he was doing, he was watching, and he says, for that reason, I'm pulling my blessings away from, from you. And he flat out says it. I hate divorce. Not no fault divorce. Any reason, no reason at all. No. He hates it. You're not treating marriage the way it should be. The, the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. It should be pure. It should be held up as an esteem. The biblical version. And honored in our community. So how do we keep our marriages safe and, and keep sexually pure in, in a world that's just gone wild? A few years ago there was movie uh, videos coming out girls going wild or the world's going wild first of all we need to write this down call sin sin not lifestyle choices stop blaming on God he made me this way the marriage bed is undefiled everything else is subject to judgment because it falls short of God's original design for us. I love her, Pastor Rick. She loves me. Then marry her. Flee from sexual immorality. Run. Go the other direction. Stop messing with it. And get help as needed. Again, if your eyes or your hands cause you to stumble, pluck it out. In other words, Jesus was saying, take it serious. First by turning to him, applying God's grace, getting his guidance in your life. And it might be, okay, Pastor Rick, I have this issue with pornography or this issue with sexual addiction and stuff like that. They, they have apps now, Christian apps. 
but you can put on your computer, you can put on your phone, it will help you along those lines. But let me tell you something. Here's a principle. What you reveal, God can heal. And what you continually hide, it just festers in the dark. So the scripture tells us to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You bring it into the light, the devil has no power anymore. And that will be the beginning of your healing and your deliverance when you bring things into the light. And understand that you have a father in heaven who gave, gave it all up. And we have Jesus as our savior who flat out tells us, does anyone condemn you? Let him which without sin cast the first stone. They all walked away. Did anyone condemn you? Neither do I. The one person on the planet who had the ability to throw a stone said, I'm not throwing stones. The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. You will never find someone who loves you more than Jesus does. Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody. Amen. Even religious people may not, don't, don't form your opinions necessarily just by religious people. We're all works in progress, you know. We're all sinners saved by grace, you know. This is who we were, okay. But the heart of God is for you. And the heart of God is for me. And no one has given you a greater gift than God did by sending his son. I want relationship with you to the point where I'm willing to give up my one and only son whom I love, who was slain from the foundation of the earth. He knew that we would have this issue, this problem, and he gave it all up for us. Fall in love with Jesus. You will not go wrong. And you're going to hear the same thing, though. Did anyone condemn me? No, my Lord. Neither do I. Stop doing it. Don't make excuses for it. Go and sin no more. Because the sin in our lives that we, that we keep doing, when the, it worries me when the Apostle Paul says, don't kid yourself if you're continually, habitually doing these things. Saying God can see through it. Stop doing it. Be the man and be the woman of God he called you to be by his grace. I'm not talking about works because none of us are perfect. We're perfectly loved by him and he wants us to grow in his grace. If you are still doing the stuff that you were doing three years ago when you first got saved, five years ago when you first got saved, you are not growing in his grace. You are stuck like Chuck and God wants to set you free amen amen and so but it all starts with Jesus he loves you he cares for us he wants relationship he wants us free 
him. He's not throwing stones. So we don't have to run from him. We can run to him and embrace him and recognize that even though the world may condemn us and the religious people may condemn us, Jesus is not condemning anybody. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your heart toward us. Listen, you've not yet accepted Christ. Now is your time. Now is your time. When every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you want Jesus in your life, if you want his forgiveness in your life, just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want that. I want Jesus. I see your hand. If you're listening online, you can just slip up your hand as well. I say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you. I ask your forgiveness. I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me, to shed his blood for me. Come into my life and come into my heart. And though I don't feel worthy to be your temple, Lord, I thank you for taking up residence within me. Help me to not become a slave or continue to be a slave to these things that are only hurting me and hurting my relationship with you. And if you have those things right now, just tell them, Lord, forgive me. Set me free. Come into my life and come into my heart. Help me to be the man or the woman of God you call me to be. Fill me with your spirit, your power, and your love. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Three days later, you rose from the dead. And because you live, I will live as well. And help me, Lord, to become hot for you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, listen, let me encourage you. Don't hide that fire. You let someone know. You let someone know. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.